I feel he's more attached to you already yeah. than me. <laughs> Probably because I look like him. <laughs> With the beard. Because <laughs> the beard and stuff. You probably think someone of his, a member of his family or something. <laughs> this week on Walking the Dog, Raymond and I popped over to Gladstone Park in northwest London to meet multi-award winning stand-up actor and writer Paul Chowdhury. Paul and I actually first met around a decade ago when we were both box openers on Jonathan Ross's Celebrity Deal or No Deal, which he'd done to raise money for my late sister's cancer charity. And I remember thinking how hilarious Paul was that night. But what I didn't know was that he'd actually lost his mum at a young age, so that night had a bigger meaning for him. Paul has a very confident, big stage persona, but like a lot of comics, he's actually pretty shy and self-effacing off stage, and just a really sensitive, thoughtful guy. We chatted about his childhood and his talent for performing and the impact of losing his mum and the importance of the family his dad created for him and his siblings with his stepmom, who essentially became very much a mother figure. Paul also told me about his experience of racism when he was growing up, and he spoke very powerfully and affectingly about it. So I do just want to flag up that there are distressing themes discussed regarding racial violence, just so that you're aware before you listen. I also talked to Paul about his career trajectory as he's managed to build his vast fan base pretty organically without a regular TV gig. And he's really interesting on why live touring is always where he feels most at home. Ray and I had the loveliest walk with Paul. He's just a really sweet, gentle soul. And I should also say that we recorded this a couple of months ago when Paul's dad was suffering from ill health. And I know very sadly he recently lost his dad. So given how movingly and warmly he speaks about him, I really hope this is kind of a lovely tribute to the man that he called his soulmate. I so hope you enjoy my chat with Paul. Do go and see him live. His current tour, Family Friendly Comedian, has been rescheduled, but he'll be back in the autumn, so go to paulchowdhury.com for dates and tickets. I'll stop talking now and hand over to the lovely man himself. Here's Paul and Raymond. Raymond? What do you think of Paul? He's amazing, isn't he? Come an on. Amazing dog. Come on then. Should we go for a walk with Paul, Raymond? It kind of glides because there's so much fur. <laughs> it's like he's hovering, isn't it? <laughs> it's not even like a walk. I feel he's more attached to you already <laughs> than me. Because probably because I look like him. <laughs> with the beard. Because <laughs> the beard and stuff. You probably think someone of his, a member of his family or something. Because <laughs> when they see a hairy face, they probably think, oh, it's another dog. It's a big dog. Whereas you look like a human. You come say hello again, buddy. Oh, this gentleman <laughs> really likes Raymond, don't you? We met earlier. What are you doing there? Is that manure? Yeah, it's a mushroom compost. Um, uh, every once a year we put it on the beds. Helps oh. with the plants oh, and nice. that and the soil uh, conditioning it. Oh, I might try that on my hair. Yeah. Mushroom compost. <laughs> is, there poo, is there poo in there? Yeah, horse poo in it as well. Horse manure. Yeah. Oh, maybe I won't put it on my <laughs> hair, Paul. <laughs> might work. Oh, Paul, it's lovely here. So we should say where we are. I'm going to introduce you first. I'm so excited to have this man on my podcast because I'm such a fan. I'm with the multi-talented Paul Chowdhury, stand-up, writer and actor. And we're in Paul's local, in, in your manor, essentially, aren't yeah. we? This is uh, Gladstone Park, 
which is named after William Gladstone, who was like, actually, if you look at the flats over there, or is it over there? Yeah, I'll show you. We're gonna, there's some flats literally, I think there they are, I think it's that one, um, is where Winston Churchill used to live. Yeah. Yeah, before he went into, just at the birth of his politics, political career. This is amazing. And there's a house up there I've just seen. There are sort of ruins, aren't there? Yeah, of that's the Gladstone house. And it said Mark Twain stayed there. Mark and Twain. And it's so beautiful, this park, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, hopefully they'll um, name some of it after me. <laughs> what about the Chowdhury Fountain? <laughs> yeah. I'd be up for that. Because my dad came to this country in 1964 and used to walk my elder brother and sister through this park to school. Oh, I love that. That's so nice. Mm. So does this feel quite... It must be full of memories for you then here. Well, no, because I was born in Edgware. Oh, OK. So this was where your dad came originally? Uh, this part we, of town? Yeah, well, originally to Southampton and then he came across to London in 64. Brought my mum and brother and sister, elder brother and sister over in around the early 70s so he worked in as a bus conductor and other jobs well I want to talk a lot more about the Chowdhury fam because I'm fascinated by them but um, I should just say I brought Raymond my dog who people who listen to this podcast will probably be familiar with because I wanted Paul to meet him because Paul doesn't have a dog but you know what I'm keeping an open mind because I think he might still be a really nice person. You know what, I'd really love to, I'd love to get a dog, but it's the uh, being on, on the road which is the yeah. issue. And, and, and like living in Rome for six months, I was doing Devils with Patrick Dempsey, a drama I'm in, and, uh, and it's so dog friendly. And you can take him to restaurants and things, but over here you can't yeah. even take him to certain hotels. What sort of a dog do you think you'd get? Well, that dog's amazing because my dog? Yeah. What breed is that? He's a Shih Tzu, but he's called an Imperial Shih Tzu, which basically means small. Oh, right. I call myself an Imperial woman. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Oh, everyone's so friendly here, Paul. I really like this park. Yeah, there's not as much gun crime in this park. <laughs> Until I turned up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you prefer small, fluffy yeah, dogs? Yeah, I like these dogs. But lots of people like bigger and more like mid-sized dogs so they can get like they can get into wrestling matches with but I think you can probably do this is a great dog because you're not having issues with transport getting yeah. another seat on the train when you've got this huge like American pit bull or whatever people would turn <laughs> up with these days it's bigger than the, the actual owner if you can't overpower the dog you're in trouble because one day the dog's going to get really pissed off and say look mate <laughs> I've had enough of your bollocks and it's just going to go for you. And then with Raymond, I'm sure, I'm sure Raymond would put up a good fight, but he'd probably <laughs> win. Did the Chowdhury family, did you have pets growing up? Yeah, or what um, was your sort of attitude to yeah. pets and your, your Love, dad's well, attitude? Had, they had pets in India, like dogs in India and stuff. Your dad did? Yeah, yeah. but not in this country as much. And I wanted to get a dog, so I looked at Alsatians growing up. But um, it was the the upkeep and my parents saw it as you're bringing another it's like looking after a human basically you can't treat a dog like you you have to treat you like a member of your own family would you have liked pets do you think 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I did have budgies, goldfish, um, things like that, but having a dog would have been... And even now, I'm still contemplating getting a dog, but I have to be in the right situation. I bought a house with a garden in it, and this, this park is perfect for a dog as well. Now, here, Paul, you're going to discover the tragic floor in Raymond. Puddles. Uh, doesn't, I mean, I w I'm not surprised, because he's like he's wearing a designer-labeled jacket, isn't it? <laughs> He's like an Alexander McQueen model, isn't he? He's <laughs> walking through. The style and charisma of this dog, which you can't see on the podcast, <laughs> is, uh, I'm, I'm not surprised. I wouldn't walk through that puddle if I'm wearing my Alexander McQueen's. Maybe I should pick him up and carry him across I think the you should. Oh, Paul, He's, I think I need you to train him. You're very good with him. Look at that. Paul, you're quite a natural, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, I get on really well with I get on probably better than humans. Just, other comics may have said. Come on, Ray. Yeah, so, so the Chowdhury family, the, the Paul Chowdhury origin story is what I wanted, oh, where I want to go to. So, your dad had, and mum had come over here? Well, my dad came here first in 64 from a family of eight brothers and sisters. And, um, and then he, basically worked in factories and manual labor type jobs at the time so he could pay for plane tickets to bring everyone else over. He's gone now, Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so he brought other members of the family across to England, uh, sisters, brothers, paid for their plane tickets to come over. He actually came, his elder brother came first to England and um, lent him five pounds, my dad. And from that five pounds, he basically created a legacy. It wouldn't be here really without, without him oh. coming over to this country in the first place. So, and then my elder brother and sister came across and I was born here in the 70s. And um, my mum was also here. But unfortunately, in 1980, we lost her to cancer yeah. when I was about five years old. And, um, and then my dad remarried afterwards. And then my mum, she came from India and brought me up. But unfortunately, last year, we lost her to COVID. Oh, Paul. So that was a tough time. That was around this time last year. And then yeah. And my dad, you know, so we've had to deal with that, and he's now we're, we're you know, he's fighting cancer as well. Oh, so Paul, uh, I'm really sorry. That's so, tough, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's how you navigate around these things. It's just the tough part, without turning to uh, class A drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. We'll probably get it all the time. It's a great dog, isn't it? Tyler? Maybe she was saying it about you. No. She's going, what the hell is that? She's, um, and then she's, oh, the dog's cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you look quite Hollywood, I think. Do I? Pretty Times fun. have changed since um, Deal or No Deal. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the good old days, weren't they? I didn't really have any style back then. I think I invented the style. I didn't have a beard either the last time we met, so you probably no. think, who is this guy? And I was much younger. That was 10 years ago. I'm really... That really sort of touches me and makes me feel really sad that you lost your mum. Mm. 
And, but I'm interested to know, I suppose, when you're that age, and I'm partly interested because my sister died and had two kids and one was one and one was ten. Yeah. And I'm always... Doing the show with you back then, I was fully aware of that. And really? I could completely relate to it. But obviously we couldn't really talk about it ten years because, you know, you know if you're in a busy TV set, it's not the place to talk about these things, I think. Um, but I was fully aware of the situation. Yeah. So it was, it was uh, quite, you know, I was, that's why I wanted to, I was quite honoured to be involved in that charity. We should say actually what Paul is talking about is when Paul and I met before and we had previous, not in that way, he greeted yeah. me far too warmly for that, <laughs> and Paul appeared on Deal or No Deal, which Jonathan Ross had done, he'd appeared on Celebrity Deal or No Deal, and it was to raise money for my sister's cancer charity. And Paul was a box opener, and that's when we first met. Yeah, one of the box openers. And I do remember you were really funny that night. I just remember you really... Because, you know, people, comics often do those things. You <laughs> just think, oh, I'll turn up, and it's a gig, and whatever. But you stuck out in my mind as being really funny and sort of bringing a lot to it. Where's he gone? <laughs> I'm going to have to pick him up. Yeah. This is what I have to do, Paul. We were talking about losing your mum, and I'm just... I suppose what I'm interested to know is... Kids don't often show their grief in the same way as adults, do they? So it's hard to know what kids are feeling and how... What's your memory of that Well, time? you don't understand grief when you're five years old. Um, you don't quite understand it. So when my auntie came across to the house, you know, the only perception you have is the, the human, the, the person that you know is sleeping at that age. So your understanding isn't of uh, permanent loss. Mm. So you're not quite, it hasn't quite, so it, it does take time, and they say it takes time for you to understand that. So it's an emotion that develops over time, I think, when it happens. Yeah. Obviously, you've experienced with, unfortunately, with your sister, and, um, but you have to try and then balance out how it's helped you in life and how you're, you've developed as a human because of your mum being around in the first place. Because maybe I wouldn't be the person I am today, and your sister's kids wouldn't be the people they are and develop into the people if it wasn't for her strength in the first place. Do you think kids that have lost parents at a young age, there are differences? And how do you think it sort of changes you, I suppose? Well, it is going to change. You're not going to have the same development as other kids. And you are treated differently as a child because of that experience. In what way? Well, because the way the kid, the teachers then speak to you in the classroom and, and you're you're all of a sudden everyone's really nice to you and you can't quite understand why and you're like why why is why are these teachers being nice to me all of a sudden and it doesn't last for very long and then the kids are being all nice to you and you're like well what's what's happened here so when you're five years old you don't quite everyone starts acting differently around you when it's uh and and you don't understand the reason for it yeah it's kind of like you're famous or something yeah, all of a sudden and i think that you know, I'm thinking out loud here, but maybe that addiction to that 
attention and fame developed into uh, my need to be a performer because it happened so young to me and, and I quite enjoyed the, the adulation I received. I couldn't understand why it was happening though. So why do I need the adulation of thousands and millions of fans mm. for <laughs> essentially for telling jokes? Um, I have well, a need for it. One sort of benign way of looking at that is that maybe it takes you back to that place as well. You know, yeah. it's kind of close to your mum. You associate that with memories of your mum. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, this is a psychological way of thinking about it. Yeah. But it, 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 take, it takes you to a happy place when you're being celebrated by people that you don't even know. And uh, it does take you to a happy place when you're performing. Do you have memories of your mum? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the strength uh, of my mum when I was... So I do have very early memories from the age of, like two or three, I do have quite vivid early memories. Not complete, but going to, taking me to nursery and things like that. And buying a Jaws figure and a shark. And, and the fact that she came to this country. And uh, the 70s were not an easy time for immigrants. Uh, mm. it, wasn't, it wasn't the climate that we live in now. There, yeah. was, there was off the back of the Enoch Powell rivers of blood speech and uh, immigration was a threat to England at the time and it, there wasn't the diversity or inclusion that we, we even talk about now, so... Did you experience racism, oh, yeah. Paul, when, a lot when you were growing up? Oh yeah, loads. But it was, it was normal. My dad experienced racism. He was attacked and um, sliced in the face and took about 50 stitches to the face, still got the scars today. I've spoken about that before. I, I've been... I've had attacks been left for dead, woken up in A&E, but these, these were just things we got through. I've had, uh, we used to have a snack bar in Southall, my dad used to have staff members there and there's a woman that used to work there who we treated like family. Her husband was a taxi driver and um, he, he, he didn't have a job that night, he said, I'll, I'm going that way, I'll do this job. And it was a racist that got in the car and he said, the next P word I see, I'm going to kill him. And he stabbed him in the head 50 times. So. You know, he, he was murdered. So, you know, there's lots of people that were either killed or beaten up to the point that it changed their lives. And, and he had three daughters that were left behind as well. Probably younger than us now when he, when he was murdered. And the guy's probably out of prison now as well. And so you were kind of exposed to that a lot. Oh, a lot, yeah. And even though those incidents were shocking, in some odd way, there was an element of it not being normalised, but that it, it wasn't, there wasn't an outcry, there wasn't a sense of outrage, it was like, well, that's what happened. No, and this is on the backdrop of the Brixton riots and the Southall riots, due to oppression within... The Brixton riots were for other reasons, but it was mainly due to racism and inequality. But I look back at the 80s, and I love the music and the film, but then I also look back and think, there were certain points I didn't want to walk down different roads to go home from school. And that was normal though. And if I was abused at school and I'd tell the teacher, they'd say, just get on with it. It wasn't a case of, you know, now the, the teacher would be, they'd bring the other child in. Yeah. And his parents may well be called in. But in, back then it was normal. You didn't, you didn't say that. And what was your dad's way? Because your dad met your stepmom. Yeah. And did she, 
presumably became a sort of mother figure to you. Well, yeah, she was my mum. So I didn't really even see, I didn't even know what the term stepmom meant. You yeah. know, so, so it taught me that, that you, don't, you don't have to be related to anyone to be family. We're all essentially on this planet at this particular time in history and existence. And it's a miracle for the billions and billions of years of, of evolution that we're sharing this point in time together for this to happen is a miracle in itself. Oh, I love that, Paul. But then we waste it by thinking and doing silly things. Yeah, it's interesting what you were saying about your stepmom. I, I love that, that. And that must have made your dad feel happy that he was able to provide you with that family structure, you know. Do you think it, that was sort of, almost he always would have remarried, you know, that it would have been, I suppose back then people, single dads were less of a thing, weren't they? Yeah, single dads weren't even discussed in, and there must have been single dads, it just has to, had to have been. But it was never a thing. Divorce was such a, a taboo subject back at the time and there was stigma attached to so many issues or people remarried and, and, and this kind of stigma, it, it, which was what it was referred to as, is now, is now being brought to the forefront. And it's basically it's a form of discrimination. Yeah. We wouldn't look at the fact that a five-year-old child has no parent or, or a, a second parent that helped bring them up. And, and, and essentially back then, yeah. your father is the forebearer of the financial situation in the household. Um, if it wasn't for him, then who knows what would have happened to me if he didn't remarry and my mum didn't bring me up. It could, it could have gone either way. You just I, don't know. And how did... I really feel, through your stand-up, I really feel I've got a sort of... I'm familiar with Mr Chowdhury. Yeah. Just because you sort of talk about, um, you talk about your dad a lot in your family, don't you? And just your sort of background. Talk me through your brothers and sisters then. So then I got an elder brother and sister who were born in India. Yeah. I was born in London. I got a younger sister as well. So she was born uh, in the eighties. Yeah. So she was like my, she is like my sister. She is my sister basically. Yeah. So I never saw my mum, who came here in 1980, as anything other than my mum. Yeah. So since the day she turned up, I called her my mum. If you did something naughty, Paul, I don't know what your particular brand of naughtiness was, like lied or stole yeah. something or whatever. Howard, give me a burst of Mr Chowdhury's reaction. What would well, you say? Yeah, you know, very loud voice. <laughs> very, uh, dis yeah, it was... I never swore, the thing is, I never, I've never sworn in front of my parents. Really? I've never said any bad, I've never used bad language. I've never, um, I drank for a little bit, but I d I've never smoked. I'm not really a druggy as such. Hello, do you want to see the doggy? He's called Raymond. So not to stroke him. Say bye bye, doggy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's going to answer the door. This is very exciting. Paul is answering his. Hello. Welcome. I've got some oh. Alexander O'Queen trainers standing up. <laughs> Paul just answered the door. It was so glamorous. Yeah, in but Hollywood. This, look, there's my front door. Oh, he answered it remotely. You've got a nice drive, Paul. Oh, he just uh, flobbered on my lip. Oh, did he? Do you want a coffee? Go I'll on. Come in and see what they've got then. 
I, um, I really like it around here. Oh, dogs allowed in? Dogs are allowed, yeah. Oh, oh no, I have to stay outside. I'll hold him and then you can decide what you want. Can I have like an oat milk latte or something? That's what I get, actually. Oh, I like your chihuahua. Thank you. Right, what do you want? Um, just get me a, um, a herbal tea, maybe a green tea or green. something. Yeah. Is, is it a Pekingese? No, he's an, he's, um, an imperial shih tzu. She, she likes to come up to people. Yes. She yes. likes to be strong. Yeah. She's yeah. my other one. Absolutely loved everybody. Hello. Oh, oh hello, you little bubby chocolate. Are you little chucky chocolate bubba? Are you just a gorgeous I'm worried boy The chihuahua is actually going to... is sick, ill with this jealousy. One, this one's quite friendly. <laughs> is, uh, um, is this a boy or a girl? Oh, it's a boy. He's called Raymond. Oh, God, he's just too flipping... Ki- so he's a shih tzu. <laughs> yeah. So he's just absolutely adorable. What, what's your chihuahua called? Uh, Fanny. Oh. <laughs> and, I mean, sh- I've got her as a wee homer, so she's not as a puppy. Um, and some, some friend of mine, this one no longer friends with her, said, oh, you can't call her that. You can't be kind of in the park yelling out. I said, well, she won't be off the lead, so I said, there won't be any need. I think it's quite a good idea. It's a great idea. I, I couldn't call. I couldn't have a dog with that name, but you could. I'm this is Raymond. Oh, nice, nice to meet you. Nice, nice to meet you. you. Bye bye, Fanny. Bye. Did you say goodbye to Fanny? <laughs> Did Fanny get on with? Fanny and Raymond actually got on really well in the end. I just had to teach him, you know, how to respect <laughs> women. And you know what, Paul? It actually doesn't take long. No. It's just like... <laughs> Turns out general. it's not that hard. In, in general, yeah. You, you think... You, you think after all these years you treat them like equals. So being International Women's Day yesterday. Yeah. And I went to, a, an, I went to an award ceremony, the She Awards. Oh. Where my sister won uh, Outstanding. It was an Asian kind of women's awards thing. So what does your sister do? Tell me what your siblings do. So my elder sister... My elder brother and sister retired. Yeah. My brother's a computer programmer, and my sister lives in Devon. She works in, like, hiring student nurses and doctors for hospitals. This is not bad coffee, is it? It's really nice. This is the... I've never had an outing like this in my local park before, you see. I've never even... I didn't even know that existed. You see, this is what I love about dog walking, Paul. I mean, I love having a dog, but I think it, it forces you to just meet people and be more sociable. Be more and sociable, yeah. Yeah. So tell me, when you were younger, Paul, do you think that was your destiny to be a comic? Were you funny? Did people always yeah. say, oh, Paul always makes everyone laugh? Well, it's interesting you say that, your previous point about being sociable and and talking to people in general, which we don't do in London as much as up north or other parts of the UK. It's a lot more, you go on the tube and it's silent. Yeah. It could be a library. And um, I've been more of a chameleon type of human being, even being Indian, but growing up in England, I was living two worlds and two worlds at the same time. So I had the Indian culture and then the British culture, and that made me able to adapt to different environments Interesting, yeah. So I was able to have friends from all parts of the world and relate to them. I didn't, because when I was growing up, and maybe even now, certain, like, 
certain races stuck together at college or school. Yeah. There were the Indian friends, and then there's the white group of friends, and then every, there was all sectors. You know, I find that fascinating that because your cultural identity was sort of not binary in a sense, mm. it meant that you were sort of a chameleon. Yeah. And that's quite a useful skill to have if you're going to go into comedy. Yeah, definitely. And, and I crossed over in all different circuits. So when I was coming up, there was a black circuit and then there were mainstream clubs. So the black performers didn't see themselves getting the same breaks as their counterparts. So a, a circuit was created for the black comics. Like in America. How old were you when you thought, I want to be a comic? Well, I wanted to try it when I was like 17, but I didn't get around to trying it until I was almost 24, 25. And then I just got my degree and thought, I might as well see what happens, because I think you should never live in regret, really, and think what could have been. Were you sort of academic, and did you do well at school? Or? Oh, no, I was rubbish at school. <laughs> were you? Rubbish. But back then, if you weren't that great at learning, you were just a dunce. Yeah. There wasn't any help for you. Although my dad did help me get private, my mum and dad got me private tuition. So you had tutors, and that was a new thing then. You know, tuition was relatively new where they'd come to your house and help. But at the end of the day, I didn't do that well. But I eventually, like then I did computer science, but I dropped out of that, but I did a degree in film and TV and media film and TV, and I got a 2-1 honours in yeah. the end. But um, it took a bit of work. Were you the sort of, because this seems quite a familiar thing when I chat to comics, is the, the report card saying disruptive, um, keeps distracting others. Yeah, maybe stuff like that. I've, you know, very short attention, attention spans. Yeah. So when you've got a short attention span, it's hard to um, sink things in. And I'm very much like that. Are you? With, yeah, with life and comedy, I think. Uh, and the, you know, when I'm doing a show, I don't really tend to stick to the script too much. If something goes off in the room, I'm going to talk about that for five minutes and then go back to the show. How did it go down in the Chowdhury household, the comedy thing you know, initially? Pe people would say, you know, what did your parents say about this? What did your parents... Like, any arts or performance-driven industry, families would have an issue with. However, my family didn't because my dad actually pushed me into performing. When I was a child, he took me to drama classes when I was a kid because he was very much um, interested by and had a passion for the entertainment world and may have seen something in me that he thought, you know, he, this child has an ability to do that. And music has been a big influence in the family, took my, taking my sister to um, Vajar classes, which is like a, a piano harmonica. So she used to play that. and the tabla, which is an age, and my mum used to play sitar. So I, I'm very much grew up in a household which was driven by music, performance, and, and arts. So it's a very artistic household, and growing up in that environment, you don't see it as something of uh, abnormal, of a yes. profession. I don't know why I bought Alexander McQueen trainers for 500 quid. I've got 10% on them. So when someone says to me, I'll give you a discount, like the manager said, oh, I, I recognise you. I said, what are you going to do? With, you know, I said, cheeky, like, what are you going to do for me then? I'll give you 10%. And I'm like, all right, I'll take them. Because I've got like 10%, even though they're like still 500 quid. <laughs> and I've got 50, 40, 50 quid off them. Wow, it's still 500 quid trainers.
You know when someone gives you a discount? Yeah. You're like, oh, I've got a bargain here. I went to Curry's the other day and there was an OLED TV, a 77 inch. Yeah. And he goes, oh, I'll give you a bit of a discount. It's three grand for the TV. <laughs> but because I got a few hundred quid off it, I bought it. <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> so you ended up going to, you worked at Dixon, so you left the school and what, you, yeah, when you I, when went I, to college and got a degree. Well, when I was 17, I, after school, this way. yeah, I, I work, worked in Dixon's in Marble Arch, which was the flagship branch. And I was 17 years old and I had a full-time job in Dixon's because I thought, well, it's not going well at school. And then I eventually thought, this isn't very good. So I went back to college after about a year. And then I worked part-time in Dixon's back and forth while I was in college. Worked in the High Street Kensington branch, which was probably the... That was where I was serving, like, Brian May, Anita Dobson. Um, so many singers and actors would come in there. It was like... I sold uh, Brian Glover, who was a massive actor back then, uh, a Walkman. And I started quoting dialogue from a night... Um, American Whale from London, Kez. Yeah, and he was in... Did you quote, the, did you quote American Whale from London? How he did he react? What are you talking about? <laughs> I said, uh, that's your, what, what you said in America. I don't remember that. <laughs> that, <he'd, laughs> that was yeah. <laughs> that you wouldn't remember. And who would remember? It's only someone like me who was a film buff who would watch films over and over again and memorise the script. And then I met John Landis. I spent New Year's Eve with him once. With... Um, Gurinder Chadda. Oh, yeah. And he came with his family, and I started talking to him about, because he directed Thriller with Michael Jackson, and then he did another video for Michael Jackson. But American Werewolf in London, Twilight Zone was one of his segments. There was three different directors produced by Steven Spielberg. Uh, but I was quite starstruck to meet John Landis. Mm. And I don't think he really got my humour either, and started shouting at me. What is this guy saying, man? And his wife was going, his daughter was saying, leave him alone, just stop, Dad. <laughs> this guy's just an idiot. <laughs> I think he just thought I was an idiot. Was John, that was John Landis, and I thought, well, <laughs> I'd love to get cast in one of his films now. Does Not your, that he makes films anymore, but... <laughs> do, you, is your, do you find that sometimes with your humour? Is it polarising, do you think? People, uh, yeah, you either get it or you don't get it. Unfortunately, quite a few people get it for me to sustain a living from it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been, I've done four major concerts. What's Happening White People 2012, 2015 PC's World, 2019 Live In It, which was released on Amazon Prime around the world. Which, which is, one is of, still on, actually, and I really recommend people watch it. Got me into a lot of trouble, that. Did it? Why? Well, I talk about this in the new show. And this is what well, you're uh, family at friendly the comedian, yeah. Yeah, so it's called family friendly comedian. comedian. Yeah, but in, in that show, because it was released around the world, it has to pass. Le it has to pass legally, in different territories, and we have different defamation laws in the UK, so it's very complicated to release material around the world. What was it like for you? Do you remember first getting on a stage and performing comedy and what uh, did that feel like? Yeah, it was great. But it was very nerve-wracking. The first five minutes, you write material. Where was it and how did you, did you just think, sorry, I'm just going to book a gig and how did it happen? Uh, I, I just got, at that time, we had time out. 
and in Time Out there'd be a listing of all the comedy shows, so obviously there was no listings on the internet. And I booked this little open mic night somewhere, and um, I just turned up and there were like 15 acts on the bill. I was on last. It was a Corks wine bar opposite Selfridges on Oxford Street. And um, two of my mates came to watch mid-98. And there was like maybe 20 people left in the audience because as the night goes on, people leave. And then I got up there at about 11 o'clock at night, which a night that started probably 8 o'clock, 7, 8 o'clock. You're very nervous. Really nervous, but I'd kind of memorised this five minutes of material, which then probably turned into four and a half minutes. But they were laughing at the right places, which I was quite blown away by, but that, it gave me that buzz again of saying something funny in class, and then the whole class would erupt into laughter. But I was trying to be serious, and as you can tell by my delivery, this is just my delivery in general. I'm not trying. I'm not the kind of comedian who's all very, you know, putting a smiley face on. And this is my delivery, whether I'm trying to be funny or serious. But unfortunately, when people think I'm being serious, it comes across as funny, which I could never understand why. But if I could turn that into something, I might achieve something in life. And then I did it, and it, they laughed, and I got a real buzz from that. I thought this is almost like when people say you find something in life that you want to be, or you find the person in life you want to be with, or I haven't had that moment as yet, but I had the moment in my career. And when you were young, you think, once you find a path in life, you know. Mm. It's like buying a flat or a house or renting a place. You think, oh, this is the place for me. And you find your place and position in life. But I didn't know I could sustain a living from it. Because only 1% of actors or performers in general mm. in the performing world make a living. So I'm, and you are part of that 1%. Mm. Uh, and then after the gig, I remember two guys held up the club. There was a big fight and they mugged everyone. And I got out of the kitchen, went upstairs, called the police. And um, yeah, it was a complete riot. There was, there was, big, uh, it was a big fight. These two guys tried to mug everyone and there was a big fight in there. <laughs> so it went quite well until that point. Yeah, but as my dad always used to say, apart from that, how is the play, Mrs. Lincoln? <laughs> <laughs> and never has a phrase been more opposite yeah. than your first gig. So, after that, that's really fascinating for what you're saying. It seems to me that it wasn't a choice. You know, you just felt, okay, this is what I'm doing now. Kind of, people say it's cheesy, but it felt like a calling. Yeah. But then you don't know if you could sustain a living from it because you've only done it once. Yeah. Then you go and do it again and it doesn't go as well. And then you realise, oh, this is actually quite hard to write material. And then to sustain a living from this, because I was doing extra work at the time. So I was an extra after, I, like on Holby City, I was in season one of Holby City. I'd love to see that. What were you playing? I was one of the doctors in it. Producer said, of course, <laughs> <laughs> Indian doctor, you know. So, <laughs> and I used to do Noel's house party. And this is where we first met because I hadn't seen Noel Edmonds since I did Noel's house party. Yes, I'm gonna just recap on that. So we have it. So essentially, Paul and I's previous encounter rather surreally, was mm. with Noel Edmonds. Yeah. <laughs> when we both appeared as box openers on Celebrity Deal or No Deal jo with Jonathan Ross, and Jonathan was, had very kindly agreed to do this to raise money for my late sister's cancer charity, and there was a, a bunch of people there, and Paul was one of them, and you just really stood out in my mind as being 
just so funny and hilarious and it made me really happy Paul so I wanted to thank you because oh no problem it's been 10 years well she would have I know I'm sorry (laughs) but the thing is it's been 10 years but she's still with us that's that's the thing it's the legacy lives on so I'm really fascinated you but what you must have then because I think all comics have that is there is an element of you cannot do that job and want to be a people pleaser or care what people think Mm. too much would you say that's true? Or stand-up? Yeah. Yeah, it's a difficult one because um, people see these as your opinions. When you're up there talking to a room full of people, I don't necessarily agree with what comics say, but if they've said it in a funny way, that's what I yeah. find funny. They're not politicians. Now, if they're saying this, these things on state, in Parliament, I'd have an issue with it. Mm. We're not going to name certain comics, but potentially they've been cancelled or they've been vilified for their material because they're being taken as gospel or the truth when they're actually twists, it's a reveal. When people don't understand the reveal, that's where the problems arise. And when you're taking a joke out of a full show Mm. and it's taken out of context, when you come and watch me doing a two-hour show on tour, I'm sure if you pull the line out of that show, it's going to be taken the wrong way and it's taken... Into, you've got to play to your audience. This is why I don't release certain material online. My crowds are so diverse, whether it be race or gender or sex, that it doesn't actually matter by the end of it because it's a shared experience. Mm. And we all forget who we kind of are by the end of it because we're all essentially the same. And we're sharing this experience at the same time. So, so looking at a certain part of the community and, and discriminating which is what I grew up to, I, I don't really want that to be a thing. I don't think I can overcome that. But for those two hours, hopefully we can all leave the room uh, being at one. I always think there are kind of two types of comics. There's comedy you go to, which is a bit more like a warm bath, mm. you know, where it's, oh, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> and then there's comedy you see, which is more like a cold shower, and it's, oh, I hadn't thought of it like that. Yeah. And I would say your comedy's the latter in a way. <laughs> It's like an ice bath. Well, yeah, because it's it's gasp comedy as well. Yeah, it's gasp comedy, but then the gasp with the funny and the laugh at the end is interesting because I do a joke. One of my jokes in this show I do, Um. family-friendly comedian, which gets a laugh after they've kind of thought about it. But when you're putting a mirror up to society, sometimes and my it's my experience in life. When I started comedy, it wasn't necessarily that, but then I developed my own style and voice and I evolve as the years go by. Get, come on, get the, you can take that call. You're allowed to take calls on this podcast. Are you? Mm. That was my sister. I'm just doing a record at the moment. Oh, could you? All right. Yeah, because she's speaking to my dad in the hospital. Aww, so. Oh, Paul. Yeah, it's difficult because, uh, you know, maybe you've been through it and it's not... Yeah, it's know. tough. It's really... Well, it just feels I've had... It feels like your whole, your whole life feels a bit permanently on hold. On hold, yeah. You just, it's tough. And then know? getting, you know, getting on stage is tough. Is it a release time. for you getting on stage? Well, yeah, it's a release, but then also you don't want to be away from your phone and I not know. contactable for a certain time. And then you, when you turn your phone on, you're anxious and it, it does make it difficult because um, I'm so close. I'm quite family orientated. You know, I've been close to my parents for all my life, and even when I moved out. My, my parents' house at 28, 
which sustained, I could sustain a living from comedy, fortunately because I could live in their house for so long. And that, I don't know if that's being Indian or now, the kids now, lots of kids, it's hard to buy a house, even property or a flat. But I managed to live in my parents' house till I was 28 and then I got a flat, which was only five minutes away, so I still see them every day. So I, I literally spent almost every day with them. So, uh, and then I've never quite moved away from my family. So I've been quite a family-orientated uh, individual in that sense. It's strange how I've never created my own family, but... Me too, always... actually. It's interesting that mm. I was very close to my family, and I, I feel... It's interesting that I, I sort of see other people where there's that shift they make, and suddenly it's like, yeah. OK, this is my new family, and, and that's they, sort of the extended yeah. family. And then but they move away, yeah. Often when I read interviews with you, people often say... He's nothing like his on-stage persona. He's very gentle. I'm like, what do you... That's, that's what it is. It's a persona. What do you expect him to be like? Do you expect Ronnie Corbett to be saying four candles? Yeah. It's like... It's odd, that, isn't it? Do Apart you... from Bernard Manning, he was very similar off and on stage <laughs> by the looks of it in his interviews. <laughs> people like that. Or, um, or, or people like Roy Chubby Brown. Because I remember watching those types of comedies and, when I was a kid, thinking, I could never set foot in those clubs. I wouldn't be allowed to even watch these shows and I'd be vilified for being a different colour to everyone else. Oh, he thought you were getting the treats out there. I bet you're quite a good friend, Paul. Do you well, think you are? Hopefully. I have very few friends. Do you? Yeah, you keep your friend circle close and then... But then you attract the wrong people as well when you get to a certain level of... Uh, within the industry. Do you think so? Yeah, have you lots have of been burnt by that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you end up in the wrong relationships with girls and because that's only the only relationship I've been in in terms mm. of so yeah and you can and then they can misunderstand they think they oh you're the you're that bad guy on stage like because on stage you're a rock and roll star and you're a bit of a bad boy and that attracts the wrong people sometimes because off stage I don't drink I don't smoke I don't do drugs I'm very quite a family orientated person I don't go out clubbing I'm not a party guy so that juxtaposition because it looks like I'm that person on stage yeah so and they want to do those things and you're like well I'm a bit of a recluse and I'd like to walk around the park and <laughs> play with a dog or something um, well it's kind of they're not understanding that sort of a Stanley Ipkiss mask thing that's literally a mask yeah. you kind of put on isn't it because there's an, a persona there yeah and sometimes I don't remember who I am when I, I I kind of go into a bit of a trance on stage I become this person that I kind of always wanted to be because I was growing up I was even then I was a very shy I think that was probably due to what I experienced uh, and I stayed stayed childlike for quite some time mm -hmm. where I wasn't able to develop relationship with the girls or something so I was a late developer in that sense as well because I was quite childlike and I, I didn't know how to take it to that other level apart from just being their friend or turning have a girlfriend or anything so um, so interesting what you're saying about your on-stage persona. I would look at you and you're kind of super cool and I would sort of think, oh, he's a bit of a player. Yeah. Is, are you, do you think, um, romantically? Not really. I'm, I've been trying to settle down. But, oh. you know, I've been trying to... If, if I find someone I can settle down with, I'll settle down. Which is... Uh, yeah, I mean, as I, as I was a late developer and I wasn't able to forge a relationship with a girl in a romantic sense for so many years 
and then I ended up in a few relationships and then probably shorter relationships which didn't last as long but then I don't know if they're short relationships because I was trying it was just probably because it didn't work out Mm. you know um, shorter relationships filling your boots and stuff yeah (laughs) I've probably been approached more by women as time progressed and I became more known in my field but then at the same time meeting someone that way Whatever, whoever you are as a performer doesn't tend to be the person that they, yeah. that they perceive you are. Yeah. So when you're... Because I talk to female comics about this and they say they never get chatted up by men as much as men do by women. Because right. accept- men find funny women intimidating because it comes across as very clever and men always want to be funnier than women, which I find funny women incredibly... It's an attractive... Mm. Um, trait for a woman to have that you can have banter with a woman but growing up through the past in the 90s lad culture and men oh you has got to be they've got to be funnier than the woman and they've got to get the attention which is why sometimes a girl will come up to me after the show and want to talk and the guy will just drag them away because they're threatened by someone else who can make their girlfriend laugh more than they can oh here comes one Oh, came out. we've just seen, Paul, do you want to explain what we've just seen? We've just seen a, <laughs> that is a, um, a whippet. Very good. Is it a whippet, yeah? Mm. And it came down at least 90 miles an hour. No owners would be seen in sight. <laughs> but Raymond just was completely cool. In fact, blended into the background, which didn't even he's notice like, him. He's, he's just lying there like he's yeah. on the sofa. He's, he's loving this. Yeah. I'm really excited to see your show, by the way. I really want to come and oh, see great. it. Family friendly the comedian. Comedian, because it plays on cancel culture and what the you can and can't say within comedy. So I start the show off by setting up the themes of it being family friendly, mm. and I actually start getting booed at the beginning of the show because people don't want to see that. They want to hear honesty, yeah. and I talk about there's no profanities in this show, there's no bad language, <laughs> there's no adult themes, and people are really disappointed. So I'm the only comic that starts off by getting the crowd to boo him. <laughs> And then it can only go uphill from there, really. And it's interesting. Do you think, in a way, it's quite liberating for you with your audiences? Because, quite famously, you're not, you don't, you haven't done that sort of classic comedian stand-up's trajectory, which is to come up through panel shows, yeah, and then build your fan base through that. Does that mean you feel slightly liberated in a way? Yeah, because my organic following is not a crowd that I've just turned up because I want a TV show. Yeah. I've been doing this for over 20 years now, so I've got quite a dedicated fan base. I do around 100,000 tickets on tour, which is, you know, within the top 10 UK selling acts. And you sold out Wembley and... Yeah. Which is pretty amazing, really. Like I say, when you consider... You would consider that model to be the only model, really, that you'd have to be... Well, the panel shows turned up afterwards. Uh, even YouTube turned up after I started, so that you couldn't even garner an audience from online, and then YouTube stars turned up. So I was working the road. Now, comics think, well, I can just do videos online, and there are online comedians now, they call them, because you, d- you don't have to work as hard. And then when you go and watch them on tour, there's no edit. Who uh, do you really admire, Paul? What comics do you think, that's the kind of comedy I... I respect and I like, you know, who do you respect as a comedian? Well, I, when I grew up, it was like Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and things, people like that. Bill Hicks. Um, nowadays, probably more like Stuart Lee, who's done my podcast. He's great, which you'll have to do as well. 
Yeah. We'll have to do this. But oh, we'll love to. Turn the tables. Frank Skinner was one of my inspirations growing up. Yeah. Frank, Frank was, I think, one of the best stand-ups in England in the 90s. Uh, I mean, I'm going to keep that in and I'll take out the bit where it says in the 90s. In the 90s. Okay. Yeah, take out the 90s bit. <laughs> I'll just say, Paul said Frank Skinner was one of my inspirations. E- even what now, do you though, think makes... Th- go on, sorry. Even now, I think he's still one of the best. He's a great comic. I mean, he's an incredible comic. He's got integrity as a comic, I think, is what I mean. Great comic. Have you seen his first four specials? Yeah. Incredible. Even the man in the suit. And I've seen him yeah. live. And Frank Skinner's improvisation is probably one of... The, he's one of the best improvisers around, really, I think. He could... When, when he did the thing with David Baddiel, Unplanned. Yeah on ITV where they were just improvising a show but it was way ahead of its time and now comics are trying to emulate what they were doing back then on stages but it's you know those two together it was brilliant Paul tell me I want to ask you a question do you do you cry are you a cry I think you're probably quite in touch with your emotions well it's difficult you know you do try and keep you know what when you I'll wait for the man to pass, Paul. Oh, There's yeah, the man yeah. on the... I really like the man. He's great, this guy. I see him all the time. Where's everyone? Look. Hello. You see, what a lovely man. <laughs> He's really happy doing that job. See, you look at someone like that and you think, He's content with life. No matter what you're doing, you have to be content and... That's it. Yeah, and, and he ins- people like that inspire me. Yeah. Because you think, look how much he loves his job. And I complain about mine. <laughs> I was saying, so I was saying, so you don't, do you cry much? Are you, yeah, you I mean, now and again, it's just difficult. You, yeah. You know, it's when you're on tour. Do you get lonely on you, tour? Well, I have a driver, a tour manager, so he does, so you're with someone. I like your, is it a cockapoo? Cavapoo? Oh, yes, no, she's cockapoo. Oh, lovely. Yeah. What's she called? Mabel, great name. <laughs> Mabel and Raymond, <laughs> Quite good, don't you Pretty think? Good. Bye bye. Oh, that's all right. He won't either. He's quite grand. <laughs> we can go that way then. Oh, let's go this way. We'll follow you, Paul. We need to get back to your Alexander McQueen oh, trainers. Yeah. I've got to get you home. I imagine, I mean, I've noticed around the park people are very respectful and they're yeah. not. But there's a high recognition factor with you, isn't there? Uh, here and there. I'm not like a household name, but I'm known to people who know comedy. But people are nice to you, Paul, generally. Generally, yeah. I mean, I don't tend to go out clubbing and stuff, and when people are really drunk, you, you can end up... But then, I don't mind it until they start grabbing you, and sometimes that happens when... Oh, that's nice, isn't it? What's this? Oh, what's that, Paul? It... Someone's left a scarf there, and it's got paw prints on it. Paul, I really love dogs. It's nice, isn't it? And I really want to come and see your show. It's called Family Friendly Comedian. And... What do you think of Raymond? Oh, he's amazing. Uh, I'd, Raymond's even come to say bye to me. See that? Raymond, say goodbye to Paul. He's not saying goodbye, Paul. He doesn't want me to go. Paul, we love meeting you. Give oh, us you a too. hug. Thanks, Emily. Bye-bye, nice. Paul. See you soon and come to a show and maybe bring Raymond with you. I might sneak him backstage, what do you think? Well, you think? could just chill out in the dressing room. 
you just chill out in there and see what it's lots of mirrors you can see him, <laughs> see himself in the mirror he'd like that <laughs> i really hope you enjoyed listening to that and do remember to rate review and subscribe on itunes <laughs>